Welcome to Maestros On Air, presented by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Maestros On Air is a discussion of culture, news events, and life on the Space Coast, and highlights the music, concerts, and personalities of the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. On the show, you'll hear from President of the Symphony Board, Eric Lee, SCSO Director of Communications, Bill Trudeau, and me, Jeremy Hickman. Sometimes we're even joined in the studio by the maestro himself, Aaron Collins. We're glad you're listening, so let's get going and find out what happens on this episode of Maestros On Air. Our top of the morning to you, Bill. Doesn't seem to be working. It looks like Mr. Trudeau is missing in action. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Jeremy Hickman. And I'm uh, Eric Lee, and we're going to soldier ahead, as it were. Which yeah, is, absolutely. You know, the, as they say in showbiz, the show must go on. In fact, I think we do have a pretty good show for today. We've got some musical clips from the recent concert uh, that played some Danny Elfman music, as well as a brand new composition from Aaron Collins. Right. That was a great concert uh, Just we just recently had. Um, really enjoyed it. Plus, we did the uh, Brooke Violin Concerto with uh, Tomas Lopez. That was really great, too. Yeah, what a great player he is. Really enjoyed the whole program. Another thing we have coming up later is an interview with John Ryther, a member of the symphony and a composer extraordinaire. Yes, that we... Um, it's a pre-recorded um, extravaganza. John is a great horn player. He's a great composer. He's been with the Space Coast Symphony since the beginning, and I, re- I really enjoy, you know, all his all his music. It's got we talk about in the interview, but he's got like that outdoorsy type sound and the American sound. It's it's really really great stuff. So, um, Jeremy, were you able to attend the concert, uh, the recent one? Uh? I did not attend, uh, unfortunately. I, I, I had planned on it, and uh, some things came up that day. Uh, it had nothing to do with horses, though. Okay. Well, Saturday, I mean, it rained like, you know, cats and dogs. We were over at uh, Satellite Beach High School. I'd like to thank Satellite Beach High School for allowing us to uh, perform. They've got a great auditorium. Everybody was really helpful there. But uh, I had the privilege of um, getting to tow the percussion trailer over there, and it was, and it ran cats and dogs, and we had to unload the percussion trailer in the rain, and it was, I thought maybe that's why you weren't able to make the concert, because the, of the, the... The privilege of towing the trailer, is that yeah, what they call it now? Yeah, it was great. It's actually, it's actually um, not that bad. Um, we rent our percussion equipment from uh, John Haupt, he's a um, percussionist um, in the orchestra, and he's got a percussion rental company, and... Sometimes when he gets really stretched thin, because orchestras throughout the state of Florida rent his equipment, sometimes he'll bring the um, trailer full of equipment, like for the first rehearsal, and then I get the, since I've got a truck, I have the privilege of being able to tow it around to the other rehearsals and the concerts and stuff, and then Vero Beach, he sends one of his minions to come up and uh, take it uh, back to Fort Pierce. Yeah, I'd like to see his warehouse at some point. I'm just thinking, because the number of... Uh, groups that rent his equipment. He's oh, got to yeah. have redundancies. I mean, how many timpani can one guy have? He told me, because, you know, John's a really good guy. He told me, I think, I want to say he's got at least four sets of timpani. I mean, there, he's got a lot of timpani and he's got a lot of everything. So his equipment is really good, um, really good quality. And, you know, he gives us a great, you know, great deal. So I don't mind, uh, you know, driving the truck around. Yeah, but that, that is one thing to keep in mind. It, you know, if you're used to attending events uh, where maybe you have a an orchestra or other group and they have, let's call it a home venue, you get used to thinking, oh, well, you know, here's their existing band hall and all this equipment just stays out with uh, the Space Coast Symphony because they are essentially uh, a, a traveling uh, minstrel group almost. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, you know, every time they go into a, a venue, e- even though they may be going back to uh, the same venue often, uh, every time they have to show up with all their equipment. Right. That's that's pretty much the way it is. Yeah, so all, all the chairs have to be set up, all the music stands have to be set up, all the percussion, all the other things have to be set up every time. And that also means at the end of the concert, everything goes packed up back in the van. Ex- exactly. And the, at the venue, the venue will... 
typically supply the chairs and the stands and they'll, you know, risers, they'll set up everything. And then we show up with the percussion equipment and the musicians, they have all their instruments and everything. And it just magically appears. Yeah. So if, uh, if you've been wanting to be a sponsor for some time, but just financially uh, are not willing, or I'm not, I shouldn't say willing, not able to make that commitment. Uh, if you are willing to uh, expend a little bit of your muscle power, you can certainly arrange to come help set up uh, prior to an event. Oh, certainly. We're always looking for volunteers to help with, um, you know, setting up, you know, the concerts, taking down the, the stage. If you, you know, we're always looking for people who want to work the lobby, work the booth. Also during the week, if you're not, say you're busy on the weekends, but you wanted to help out during the week, there's plenty of work you could do like with library work, or if you wanted to, you know, answer the the ticket line. I mean, there's a lot of different uh, opportunities for volunteers. Well, we always uh, need a, a fresh makeup artist uh, and somebody to comb Aaron's hair before the event. Right. That's uh, very important. That'd be a, <laughs> that'd be a good, uh, good job. But no, seriously, there's always uh, plenty of opportunities. So if you're looking for a place to volunteer, we're you know, a nonprofit organization. We do uh, welcome you with open arms. But I, re- like I said, I really enjoyed the this recent concert, the um, pieces were all great. Well, in fact, let's go ahead and start out the show by playing one of the pieces. A student who has been growing and maturing as a player with the symphony over the last few years, Tomas Lopez, actually played a violin concerto. Right, the Brook Violin Concerto. He did a great job. I really enjoyed listening to him, and the, the orchestra really sounded good because there's no tuba parts. So I got to listen to that, and it was it was really good.
Tomas Lopez, taken from the Brook Violin Concerto, recently performed at the Vero Beach Performing Arts Center. Yes, that was a great performance. Like I said, there was no tuba part, so I got to listen to that. It was, it was really great. It, it always makes me nervous when I see you sitting in the audience. Well, that one, I didn't make it to the audience. I was actually like backstage, so... So but it was, you know, very, very enjoyable. Okay. Well, we've got a good interview today. It's John Ryther, a member of the Symphony Orchestra, also a composer. Yes, he's one of our um, horn players. He has started in the very beginning of the um, Space Coast Symphony, and um, he's a great composer. We've played, I don't know how many of his uh, pieces. John, I don't even think, remembers how many pieces we've played, but... He's, you know, he composes for the orchestra and also for the wind ensemble. We kind of talk about it in the interview. He's got like this outdoorsy type American sound. You know, I really, really enjoy his music. Right. And, and not a surprise, I don't think, a common thread with a lot of interviews and guests we have, which is participation uh, and or working at Disney as a career. Oh, yes. Yes, we talk about that as well. So that's how he ended up in uh, Florida. So it's a very, you know, very good interview, I think. And I think um, you're going to enjoy it. So let's listen to the first half of the interview with John Ryther. Hello. John, it's Eric. Hey, how you doing? Delighted to have you on the program. You're a great horn player and do you have any idea how many pieces you've composed for the Space Coast Symphony? I know it's been a lot of them. I have written quite a few. Uh, some of them band pieces, you know, when we do the right. um, wind concerts, and right. some of them orchestral. So Yeah, yeah, we really enjoy, you know, playing all your music. So, it, you know, like I said, we're just delighted to have you on the program. So, well, thank uh, you so much. So one of the uh, questions, you know, we always ask our guests, you know, obviously you were born at a very early age. So when did you get... <laughs> yes. So when did you, uh, when did you get interested in uh, music and, you know, the, you know, the French, okay. first off the French horn? Well, uh, I think I should do it the opposite way of your asking because I didn't get interested in, I did get interested in music when I was very young. Okay. My sister had one of those old phonograph players, not stereo. And she happened to have a recording on, on a record of the Philadelphia orchestra playing Scheherazade. Oh, okay. I gotcha. And I, over and over and over again, and I'd like to conduct to it and things. Okay. And that's when my head started saying I want to be a musician. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, so, so that was the inspiration that um, the Philadelphia recording of Shahrazad. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, that's great. So then, um, so then, did, when did you get interested in the horn, or did you just want to compose? What was the next uh, progression after you got the inspiration? Well, the next thing was uh, when I was in elementary school, I um, took up the violin for about two weeks. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and I and I and I told my parents, "There's no way I'd be able to learn and read music," and uh, and my fingers were too fat for the violin, so okay. I just gave that up. Okay. But when I got to middle school, um, I I went ahead and joined band. Okay. I didn't know what I was going to do. The director said, what instrument would you like to play? And I said, well, I'd like to play the bass trombone. Oh. I mean, I really wanted to play the bass trombone. That's interesting, you know, for a middle school, uh, you know, that's a, you must have already had a sophisticated, you know, knowledge to a certain extent to even know what a bass trombone was. So, so there you go. Anyway, the band director, he said, we already have two people playing that. How would you like to play the French horn? I said, uh... Well, okay. <laughs> so he gave me a horn, and I went home, and I and I started tooting on it. And then the next thing I know, my parents are getting me a horn teacher. Wow. And um, this guy, my first horn teacher, he was his name was Nikolai Kobzev. Yeah. And he was the fourth horn player in the Long Beach Symphony okay. in Long Beach, California. Right. And he was a really nice guy, and, and he taught me everything. I, he, he's the guy that first, I, I learned 
when I was in middle school, I learned how to transpose in every key. From wow. Him. So wow. anyway, after that, and during middle school, my, my uh, band director started teaching me uh, theory lessons after school. Okay. And I started writing French horn duets. That's when I first started. And then I really started getting into it and arranging tunes for the band and things like that. Wow. And and then I started arranging for smaller groups like uh, quintets and quartets and things like that. Wow, that's really that's really cool. So you started, you know, pretty much what, like in high school as far as like, you know, composing? Yes, pr- pretty much. And, I, and that's when I was in high school, that's when I got a composition teacher. His name was Bruce Pillay, and he was a graduate of, of USC. Uh, and, where, you know, it was a comp- composition major there. And he he would he brought me through all the analysis of uh, Brahms and uh, uh, Beethoven piano pieces and so forth, and and really taught me the basics. Mm-hmm. And he also introduced me to 20th century harmonies and techniques and so forth. And that's when I really took off on my composition. Okay, because before that I was pretty much just arranging things. Right. But now I, I started composing uh, then. I, mostly very small works for, like, piano or uh, small woodwind groups, things like that. That's what I was composing for originally. Okay. Then so, when, when did you um, then expand to, like, um, you know, wind ensemble and, and orchestra? Was that later? Was that later on then? Kind of like my last year of high school. I wrote a piece for our orchestra. Okay. And uh, it was, I had no idea what I was doing, basically, because I had no sense of timing. Right. Everything was, everything that I composed was too short. Okay. And I, my teacher was working with me that, for that, with that, but I could never really get it until I got to college. And I, I, I got another teacher for composition, and um, he taught me how to organize my, my thoughts in time. Okay. You know how to map out that this is before computers, right? Right. I map out the work on a large piece of paper. Oh, okay. And that way, I could organize. Okay, this section would be this, you know, sort of this long. This section is this long, and so forth. And all my music, and you, you would find this if you looked at it. Everything I write is pretty much based upon classical form. Okay. You know, it, it like sonata form or something like that. Could you give us, like, you know, for our listeners, like the Reader's Digest uh, version of what, you know, like what the, like a sonata form is? Basically, a sonata form in the classical sense is you have an introduction or the first part, which has states the melodic material, the A theme, the B theme, sometimes a, a third theme. Okay. And then there's a development section that at the end, in the classical days, it would always come back, it would be in the dominant key. Okay. Exposition, development, and recap. And you think that most of your pieces, they kind of fall into the, that, the sonata, the sonata form? Yeah, some form or another. Some of them are a little bit more free mm-hmm. from it, mm-hmm. but it's still basically there. Okay. Still basically there. When I remember in college when I was taking composition, uh, you know, I don't, I use serial music, you know, like 12-tone technique, but I never would write a whole piece like that. Oh, so, what you, so what you do is you'll, um, you'll put like a serial section within the context of the whole... Exactly. Okay. So I, I wrote the, this guy, the composition teacher said, look, John, I need you to write a, a 12-tone piece. So I said, okay, let me, let me do it. I wrote something for Wooden Quintet, which is a... 12-tone row piece, but at the same time, each row was based upon one, four, five, one. Okay. The chordal, you know, the chordal sequence. Okay. (laughs) So, so so that's... And he liked it. Yeah, so, yeah, and then, again, we can, you know, explain, you know, to our listeners... You, you know, basically like a 12 tone, how can you, why don't you give our listeners the reader's digest version of the 12 tone of like a 12 tone row? 
A twelve tone row is simply it's a it's an organization. You know that there are only twelve tones in in Western music, right? But what you do is reorganize those twelve tones in an order, any order you want. Okay. You can't repeat a note uh, more than once. It's got to be every note right. before you can do an, uh, the same note again later. And so you need to do twelve notes, and they can start all over. Okay. There's different variations of doing things. Like some people only use six notes. Some people use seven. <laughs> Things like that. Okay. Uh, but it's still basically the same idea. Okay. Nobody has ever, I don't think anybody except Schoenberg actually was absolutely dead on using just the 12 tone roll, period. So basically, what you do is you kind of, that's just like a tool in your toolbox. Exactly. It's one of my techniques that I use. Okay. One of the pieces I'm working on right now, it's, uh, I don't know if you, when you're in college, uh, if you ever played a piece called uh, Dreams of a Psychopath. I never played that. I, I can be enough of a psychopath on my own. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, it's a piece that uh, musically made you think of a guy who was a psychopath where he'd go in and out of reality. Mm-hmm. So in the music, he would have like a twelve tone section, and uh, in the in the background, you could hear like a big band tune. Oh uh, wow! So it's that kind of situation. Uh, this piece is called "Dreams of a Psychopath Part Two. Okay. And what I've done is, it, I'm using a a hybrid twelve tone uh, row. Okay. Uh. At the beginning, just it repeats itself over and over. It's two sections. It's it's the front part and then the reverse part of it. Okay. In a different key. Okay. And then against that, I've put in some jazz things going against it. Oh, okay. Oh, that... It's going to be interesting. I, I I hope to finish it in about a month or so, hopefully. Wow, that, that, sounds, that sounds like that'll be great. Is that something that um, you think the orchestra will be playing, or is it... What's well, that? that's a band piece. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that'll be yeah, great. Yeah, I could write it for orchestra, I guess, but I, I, don't, I haven't thought of that yet. But. Oh, but that'll be nice. Yeah. I, I really enjoy, you know, like, you know, playing the pieces that... You know, you've you've written. They seem to have like this, um, like a, it's kind of like an American quality. Well, yeah, most of my music is. As a matter of fact, I just did. I just completed two works for this thing that I do every year in in Orlando called Horns and Pipes. Uh huh. And it's a, at the Cathedral Church downtown. Okay. And uh, it's it feature it's brass, organ, and percussion is what we do. Right. And I, I, the first piece that I completed was, it's called Across the Divide. It's, it's like, describes what it feels like to go across the Rocky Mountains and end up on the other side. Okay. That kind of thing. Right. And the other piece I wrote as a rem- remembrance to Dr. Martin Luther King. Oh, okay. And it's called Cry Freedom, and it has a part where the instrumentals will sing this tune with the congregation. And then I, I do a lot of different things with the melody after that, but it's it's very it's it's um, how would I say it's very traditional sounding, right? Except I put there's there's a rhythmic section in there that's not so traditional, but it's the melody and the harmonies are mm-hmm. not anything that's completely out of the norm, you know. I never noticed that, you know, anything your music being it always seemed tonal to me. Oh, it is. A lot of times you have like that outdoorsy sound. Yeah, because one of my main inspirations is Aaron Copeland. Yeah, you've got like that. And I love that too. Like the, it's kind of like that outdoorsy kind of sound. And you, you know, where you take oh, yeah. the instruments, you kind of spread the range, you know, because it has like that wide, you know, range, that outdoorsy kind of, you know, kind of sound. I, uh, I, uh, like I said, the technique, uh, the the serial music, I use as a as a tool in some pieces, not everything.
That was the first half of our interview with John Ryther recorded earlier, uh, mainly focusing on his early career and time at Disney a little later on the second half, and we're going to talk more about his participation in the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Right. We do a little uh, reminiscing, talking about the uh, the beginnings of the whole uh, orchestra, because you know John was uh, part of the horn section from the very beginning, so... That's going to be, um, you know, very exciting, the trip down memory lane. And speaking of memory lane, in the recent past of the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra, we had a couple of performances, uh, notably Danny Elfman. Yes, the uh, Serenata Schizophrena, which um, is a very enjoyable piece. I really enjoyed, you know, both playing it and then listening to it when, you know... (laughs) I'm counting rests. That's one of the things when you're a tuba player, you have to be very good at counting rests so you don't get lost. Because the tuba isn't, you know, we don't play all the time. We just play when it's important. So you can uh, major in music and minor in math because of all the counting you do. Exactly. And you, what I do is I try to keep track of it on my fingers because let's say you've got like, you know, 32 bars rest <laughs> and then you've got another 32 or sometimes there are odd numbers. You got to make sure that you um, keep track of the counting. You know, so you, when you do play, you come in on the right spot. Well, let's go ahead and start out with uh, playing a section of Danny Elfman's music where you're resting. I think that's an excellent point <laughs> where I'm resting. <laughs> so uh, here is Danny Elfman. Serenata Schizophrena. Thank you. 
Danny Elfman's Serenata Schizophrena. Interestingly, though, this was one movement out of seven, actually more movements than you would typically find in a piece of music like this. Right. Well, like a typical symphony might have three or four movements. This one has seven. And one of the things that um, Aaron talked about in introducing the piece, it's really kind of, it's almost like a concerto for orchestra because the different sections are featured and it's, you know, it's um, really a lot of color. One of the things I liked about his music is Danny Elfman really does a lot with the um, orchestration, the colors that he does with the orchestra. And it definitely has a cinematic quality, and you're kind of like going into like his world. Do you, you know what I mean by that? I mean, it's you're kind of like going into his um, world, so to speak. Well, he, he you know, you mentioned palette, and it, it, I think definitely he does have a toolbox where he pulls in. Uh, I don't want to say motif, but certainly some of the some of the same textures right. run throughout a lot of his pieces. So mm-hmm. he does have that very uh, is this even a word to say tonescape that he creates? I think, we just, I think you just invented that. I word. just I just created I coined a new term a, to, a tonescape uh, in uh, in Danny Elfman's music. But the point is he he does tend to use some of the same features where he creates a world, and you can really tell when it's Danny Elfman music. Right, right. And then the other thing we were kind of um, commenting on, like in, with. Um, with uh, Pat Hennessy because he's you know sitting next to me in bass trombone and we're you know you know we tend to you know commiserate you know what we're talking. One of the things I noticed about this piece was I mean the tuba part it didn't look like a lot on the page, but when you put it all together, I mean you really have to have like your thinking cap on, just having to get into this the whole like you said the tonescape of the whole thing just putting your thinking cap on really getting into it. You know, because it just, you really required a high degree of, you know, concentration. You really had to be on top of your game with this piece. Speaking of being on top of your game, that was the marquee piece for this concert, but there was another very important piece of music that was unveiled, and uh, Mr. Aaron Collins on top of his game. Yes, uh, uh, it's an original composition that he uh, composed, a short symphony, and that was a very... There was no tuba part for that. It was a scored for a chamber orchestra. Ah, so you're able to... I got to listen to another piece. How about that? Very nice. And I think Aaron explained in the... Um, before the piece how, since the Elfman piece is a very large orchestra, he wanted to write something that would kind of contrast that. So that's why he scored it for the uh, chamber orchestra. Yep. And as I mentioned earlier, unfortunately, I was not at the concert, but I have listened to the recording. It was very nice. Yes. Uh, and I think one of the things we want to talk about here is this was a commissioned piece. Right. And we actually want to uh, give some gratitude to some of the people who helped uh, in the commissioning of that. Right, so I'd like to uh, thank the uh, patrons that helped commission this piece, uh, Christopher Marshall, Robert Moeller and Margot Richardson, Adam Cottingham, Kenneth Fuchs, Nick DiBiase, Betty Hendricks, Don and Fred Puglisi, Michael and Francis Taters, Maurice and Diana Pepin, and Colleen and Eric Lee. Now, the funny, <laughs> the funny thing about that was, before the Saturday concert, I figure out what I'm going to talk about, you know, when I give my little introduction. I'm looking wait, at wait, this. you think about it in advance? You, I, it, kinda, it just kind of sounds like you just stand up and start talking. No, I actually, um, I actually prepare <laughs> before I go, before I up there. That's if, why I if, always have my if little... If you say so. <laughs> that's why I always have my little, um, my little sheet. I have a little outline of what I'm going to talk about. And the funny thing was... Um, Oh, I thought I thought that was from the horse races. That was your uh, little... no. It's not the racing okay. form. It's actually uh, actually an outline that I prepared. But the funny thing about this was I was going through the donors and like I didn't realize I had contributed to the, <laughs> the piece. And then I made a joke about that at the um, on Saturday, saying I didn't even have a part. <laughs> I was still a contributor. Well, interestingly, paid time off. Usually, you get to take time off, and they pay you. Sounds like you uh, you paid so that you could have the opportunity to take a little time off. Right. That's the that's the beauty of it. But it all worked out. Well, anyway, congratulations, Aaron. It's a great piece of music. I'm sure we'll hear it performed again in the not, not too distant future. 
Yes, I'm sure. It's a great piece of music. Um, normally, we would um, cut to a clip of the piece now, but it actually came up in our interview with John Ryder. So. Exactly. So let's actually get back to the second half of our interview with musician and composer John Ryder. Well, what brought you to the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra? And another old-time uh, favorite question is, how did you first meet Aaron Collins? Aaron and two other horn players came and played with us on a Strauss fanfare, uh, which called for a lot of French horns. You're like maybe 10 French horns, something like that. Which ones you do? The, what, the Vienna Philharmonic fanfare? Yes. Yeah, that's yes, a good one. one. And uh, Aaron was one of the horn players. I met him. We talked. And uh, we played the concert and so forth. Um, oh, you know who else played? It was Rochelle and um, Juan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so a while down the road after that, maybe two, three years, all of a sudden I get a, a Facebook notification from him. And he was asking me, John, would you be at all interested in playing in our group? Uh, it's called Symphony. Okay. And I'd let it simmer for a while because I – so I thought, boy, that's it's a long distance. I just don't, and I don't. At that time, I didn't have a car either. Yeah. So I said, I I would be very interested in in playing, but I got to know who lives near me that could take me with them. Right. So you know, that's when I figured out. Well, Debbie Danzy. So yeah. That's how I get there still. <laughs> right. Right. And, and the rest is history. And that's, how I, that's how I started playing with with Space Coast Symphony, and I and I. And this is absolutely the truth. It's one of the very few places I go when I just smile all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I remember. I love everybody there. Yeah, I remember like I, that first concert we did, Mahler One. Remember? Yes. That, was, that was great. <laughs> I was so blown away by that. It was so much fun. It was. Uh, I mean. Yeah, it was. It's like the first concert out the gate. What we did, uh, Mahler one. We did the list lay preludes. I mean, what else? I mean, we did like the the sunrise scene from also Sprock. I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> all the. I, I I'll tell you what. My favorite one is when we did the uh, Symphony Fantastique. Oh yeah, that was that was great too. Oh, that was, that was a great it piece. Was really good, really good. But I, I love playing in that orchestra because Aaron plays great literature all the time. Oh yeah, it's it's so much fun. I I've played pieces there that I probably will never ever have the opportunity to play again. Right. Uh, the Prokofiev Concerto that we did. Mm hmm. Never probably I'll never do it again probably unless we do it again with this orchestra. Right. But, yeah, because we've done I a couple mean, of Prokofiev pieces. We did you know Prokofiev's Fifth Symphony. I mean that's. That's a huge piece, and we did remember, and we did Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Mahler five, goodness. That's the thing. The repertoire is is you know is really great, and a lot of the stuff you've either never heard before, or you've never you know played. You know what I mean? It's really. Oh, yeah. a, I wish I had the opportunity to hear Aaron's piece, but I, I can't do this concert. But. Um, I, I hope it goes well and oh, yeah. did it already happen. Yeah, it was yeah, it just it was just happened. I mean, it turned out I thought it turned out really good. It was um Oh good. But I was um talking there, you know, after I heard cuz I hadn't heard it until you know the the concert. It kind of the yes. beginning it kind of has that outdoorsy sound, like that Aaron Copeland kind of oh, sound. Oh, cool. And then then the middle to me kind of had kind of sounded a little bit like uh, Paul Hindemith. Kind of had, to me, it kind of had that sound. And then um, Patrick Hennessy thought the ending had like a little Beethoven flair to it. So I thought I, it was, I thought it was really good. He could, do you think there's a way I could get a recording to listen to it? I'll, I'll be able to hook you up with that, John. Don't worry. Okay. I got That'd you. Be great. <laughs> I got you. I got you covered.
I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a nice, you know, nice piece. And it was a, you know, a chamber orchestra. So it was, yeah. you know, very, and, and very small. To continue on with the thought, what, what uh, you asked me earlier about how I started, uh, Aaron has been an amazing friend to me. And uh, he gave me this opportunity, and he's asked me to write. And I just uh, I appreciate him very much, and 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 the orchestra and everybody involved. I, I just love it so much. Well, it's, it's my main thing now. So yeah, well, we love having you, John. I mean, plus, like I said before, like the music. I mean, really enjoy like you know your music. It's got that outdoorsy, you know. That plus it kind of has that American tinge you know most it's great of it's that way most you know? of it is <laughs> and it's great you know and yeah, i know our audience i, I love i love I, I mean obviously composition is my passion yeah if i had put as much time as i did into the horn as i did in composition who knows i could have been principal somewhere right <laughs> you, you never know but you got to do what you love and i know our audience you know, they love the music too. So. Well, we haven't announced the new season yet, uh, so maybe plans aren't completely formalized. But uh, do you have any new pieces you think we might be hearing the symphony oh, perform? There's one that I wrote a long time ago, and I wrote it for Jennifer Gray. Mm -hmm. It's a solo piece with uh, with strings and harp, oh. and it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite melodic pieces I've ever written. Oh, that sounds and good. And then there's another one that I wrote for Deborah, which is a, it's called Meditation for Viola, Strings, and Harp. Oh, that'd be And good. then I wrote a piece for our principal cello player. Oh, Paul Fleury. Uh, for Paul, yeah, it's yeah. called Ode and Dance. It's for uh, uh, cello and orchestra. Oh, those those all sound great. The is the cello piece, is that more for like what chamber orchestra or is that for full? It's a small, it's not a full orchestra. It's a, it's a smaller group, okay. you know, like two horns, two I got trumpets you. kind okay. of thing. I got you. And it, it's got piano in it, but it's, it's a, uh, and that's an interesting piece because uh, right smack dab in the middle of it, after the, the dance starts, there is a quote from Mahler six. Ooh. It. Oh, that, that, <laughs> it's kind of cool. That'll be that'll be cool. Well, we're just entering the planning season for the new season of the symphony, and I guess we'll have to bring those up during the discussions. Yeah. And, uh, for the audience, that'd be nice, man. Yeah, for the audience, I guess stay tuned to find out if we actually can play some of these pieces during the new season. Well, let me let me mention this one thing. If anybody is interested in hearing any of my music, you can go to SoundCloud.com and you can type in my name, John Ryder, and you can see a list of my tunes. You can listen. Then why don't we go ahead and treat the audience to a bit of a preview? Do you have a particular track that you like that we can play right now? I would go ahead and play them the piece that I wrote for Jennifer Gray. It's called "The Swallow Returns." So is that like a MIDI realization? Is that how? It's an MP3. But those aren't um, live. Those are going to be like. No, no. Those are actually they're they're generated from my computer, and what you can do is you you save them as a WAV file on the computer, and then I I convert them to MP3. I'm really impressed how I didn't realize that you could generate the music. It sounded that realistic. Some years ago, they did samples of players. Wow. And they use, and each voice is a sampled sound. Wow, that's amazing! And from the uh, from the um, which uh, I think it's Seattle Symphony uh -huh. that they use to do okay. that. That's amazing. So Bailey used the London Philharmonic players to do theirs. Wow! Now when I play back my music; it's almost as if I'm hearing the orchestra play. No, but I mean that's a tremendous tool for you to be able to oh. hear right away what you wrote. Oh, yeah, it's, it's become invaluable. When I'm sending uh, things to people uh, that are interested in buying it, they hear it. That's exact, unbelievable. Almost exactly the way it would be. So. See, because I was imagining more like a synthesized type sound. I mean, that sounds like the real thing. Oh, yeah. It, it, it used to be more just a, like a MIDI sound that you would hear. Okay. When I first got finale, that's exactly what it was. Okay. 
but they uh, sophisticated it to the point where, uh, and they even got a, you know, you can add different music uh, instrument libraries to it if you want. Okay. You got to have a whole lot of memory though. I right. mean, a lot. Yeah, but that but, sounded really uh, good. Like world drums, you can add world drums or studio strings, of, of actually actual choirs. Really? And the choirs don't you can program it to where they sing the words, which is amazing to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that was a real education for me because I didn't realize, I was imagining more like a synthesized type sound. I mean, that that's incredible. Tell everybody I'm available to write anything anybody wants. Okay. All right. All right. You've just told uh, the whole world. So. Uh oh. So. Uh, so any event somebody wants to take you up in the offer, how would they best contact you? You can contact me via email at hornman59 at hotmail.com. Okay, hornman59 at hotmail.com. This has been great. Yeah, it's been really great, John. Thank you so much. It's been our pleasure, and uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, at the next concert. That was a great interview with John Ryder. I just want to thank John again for being on the program. He's a big fan of the podcast, so um, he enjoys listening to it. So I knew he would uh, love being on the show. So um, it's a great interview. And um, thanks again, John, for being on the show with us. A couple of episodes ago, we introduced a new feature, the question of the week. Yes, the question of the week was very exciting. The first question actually led into the second question, kind of a compound question or a two-part question. Uh, So as a reminder... Kind of like a compound fracture, you know, very very (laughs) similar to that. The first question uh, going with the theme of Danny Elfman. Uh, Danny Elfman has written the scores to many movies. Well, Danny Elfman had uh, written the scores for all the Tim Burton movies except for one. That was our question, which we... um, had given, and the answer to that uh, movie was... Ed Wood. Which is one of your favorite movies, I understand. Um, well, I watched it. I, it was a bit quirky. Uh, you know, I, you know I, I will tell you, it's probably been a dozen years since I've seen it, so maybe it's worth a rewatch at this point. But the... The um, so that was the movie that um, Danny Elfman did not score. That so was then, two questions ago, and right. then that led to last episode's question, which was, since we know that Danny Elfman did not write the score to Ed Wood, who did? 
Are you ready for the answer? Should we have a drum roll? I am roll? ready. I, I do not know the answer, so please. Do you have a drum roll? Uh, yeah, we haven't had one all show. Absolutely. Here's a drum roll. Composer Howard Shore. We're going to keep on the Danny Elfman theme for the uh, question of the week this week. Who was the party band in the comedy classic Back to School? Oh, I, I know this one immediately. Right, but don't don't say the answer now because that's the question so of the week. So you were teasing me about Ed Wood. Actually, Back to School is one of my favorite movies. Right, uh, starring you know one of my favorite com- comedians, Rodney Dangerfield. Yep. That's a fantastic... So the question thing. is, who was the party band in Back to School? If you know, you can send the answer to the email address contact at maestrosonair.com. Uh, we'll pick a winner at random. If you know the answer, again, send the answer. Who was the party band in the movie Back to School? Send it to contact at maestrosonair.com. That's right. That's right. The winner receives a pair of flex tickets. Right. So you can go see your favorite uh, Space Coast Symphony concert. All right. Speaking of concerts, we've got some upcoming concerts coming up. I'd like to hit those real quick. Our next concert coming up is going to be a really great one. Bach, Mozart, and Haydn. Uh, That's going to be Saturday, April 16th at 7 p.m. at Vero Beach High School. And then Sunday, April 17th at 3 p.m. at Holy Trinity. And then our next concert after that is really one of the, I think, one of the more favorite concerts during the year, the Pops Bouquet. It's a tribute to mothers. That's going to be uh, two for two concerts in one day. So if you're sharp, you can go to the one concert <laughs> and then go to the other concert. It's Saturday, May 7th. We have a two o'clock show at Vero Beach High School. And then um, at 7 p.m. the same evening, at Holy Trinity Episcopal Academy. And that set of concerts is actually the finale for the 2015-2016 season for the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra, meaning before we talk about any new concerts, we have to actually finish the planning for the new season. Yes, we're in the planning stages right now. And in the very near future, we'll have a special episode dedicated exclusively to unveiling the new season. So stay right. tuned for that. Right, that's always... That's always very exciting. We, um, you know, talk to Aaron about his thoughts in uh, the season, and you know, we play, you know, twelve months out of the year. So, there's the season is kind of an artificial. We're always going. So, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we'll right. have some more concerts in June. So it's you well, know. Uh, yeah, it's it's an arbitrary end of the season because, as you say, uh, performing in an ongoing basis. But it, uh, eventually, you have to turn the page. <laughs> so Somehow, this is a, this so. is our this is our page turning. Right. It's kind of. Um, Set up like more of a traditional. Well, what happened was we started with the regular fall to spring, and then we started doing a summer season, and now we're just kind of lumping it all together. It would actually make sense maybe just to make it on a calendar year, but right now we're doing it the way we're doing it. So, well, we're we're moving forward. And speaking of turn the pages, it's time to close the page on this particular book. This episode of Maestros on Air has come to an end. So I'm going to say I'm Jeremy Hickman. And I'm Eric Lee. And Mr. Bill Trudeau. We hope we'll be back next time. And in the meantime, we'll We'll see see you at the show. This has been Maestros On Air, brought to you by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Episodes are available at the iTunes Store or at maestrosonair.com. Maestros On Air is recorded at the Peak Velocity Studio in beautiful Brevard County on Central Florida's Atlantic Coast. For more information about the symphony or upcoming events, like us on Facebook or visit our webpage at spacecoastsymphony.org. Thanks for listening. And remember, as always, we'll see you at the show. A Peak Velocity production.